Excuse me, Veronica. <clears throat> yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Welcome to the Pants Party. I am your host, Harrison Starr, aka HD underscore Star on Twitter. Joining me as always, Ben Ross, Harmon Chillabrew, Renboss23. My man, how are you doing? Um, I'd like to say, you know, don't be sad it's over. Be glad that it happened. But I, I don't think that accurately represents how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been a while since we talked, uh, talked last week. We felt good about the draw. Uh, I I know if memory serves, I said, I liked our draw better than Illinois on here and still do. do. (laughs) But, uh, we weren't able to, to connect after the games and probably for the best because we've had a, a day to digest the loss to Oregon and yeah, it's it's sad because you know Luca especially poured his heart and soul into the program. He came back to try and you know get Iowa further than they've been in my lifetime, and sadly was unable to to do that with the ninety five to eighty loss uh, to Oregon. So it's tough. I, I think I'm still kind of processing it to be honest because you know it's. It stinks, but like you said, that there are a lot of fun things that happened this year. There was a lot of um, high points, <laughs> a lot of fun wins, but for it to end the way that it did, it certainly hangs a cloud. I think it's probably the best way to describe it. Hangs a cloud over the season at large, at least at this point. Uh, w- w- without question, I am glad we waited until today to speak because <laughs> it just wasn't in me yesterday. I was, I told you the only thing I said to you before I hopped on was yesterday was deeply depressing. And I mean, I'll maintain, I haven't felt like this after an Iowa loss in any sport like football. The problem with football is, you know, <laughs> uh, last time we were really, Iowa was really good. It was like 2015. Um, you know, there are the moments in 2017 and 18, they had the opportunities to do something special. But, I mean, I was at the Ohio State – I don't want to talk about football too much, but, like, my overall point is I was usually shithoused after a, <laughs> after a, a devastating Iowa football loss. And uh, uh, Monday morning at 11 a.m., tip for a basketball game is not how – like. Not what I like. There was something about like I'd been drinking, you know, had a couple beverages on Sunday in a patio to watch a basketball game. So I kind of had, you know, it was a little bit foggier than I normally am. It felt like a normal Monday morning and it it just really hit me. It, like I'd have not in my stomach the entire day. Um, just haven't felt like that. And uh, I think now this is hopefully going to be cathartic. I don't know what I can say to you or anybody else. <laughs> it's going to, I mean, this is for me. Um, I don't know where you want to start. I don't want to take the liberty of doing that. Well, I, I think I'm going to kind of close out what you said with football, right? It, it, getting to the Rose Bowl is celebration enough. So, like, I think everyone can kind of look at that, look at the trip to Pasadena, playing as day turns into night out west, and take some solace into that. It was also never a game from the second those two teams hit the field. Uh when when I think about last night in comparison, God, not even last night, yesterday, yesterday morning. morning. <laughs> like, I, I think where I failed in the write-up is, and I did the write-up literally at midnight because we were on the road and whatnot, so no excuses, but play like a champion, blog like a champion. It's just not diving deeper into... Oregon's recruiting rankings because the way I view basketball talent is you like have athleticism on one axis and skill 
on another axis because it's unfair to label either one of those talents in conjunction. Putting the ball through the net requires some combination of athleticism and talent. Iowa, by all accounts, is highly skilled, less than athletic. And a very quick perusal of the recruiting rankings would have reminded me that they were going to be operating at a supreme athleticism dis, uh, disadvantage. And from a skill perspective, I was you know, impressed looking through Oregon's profile in terms of being able to hit threes. A lot of guys can do a lot of things. And that was all going against Iowa. So putting that together, I feel like I should have been more explicit in terms of I wrote Iowa needs to be deliberate offensively. And really what I should have figured out is Iowa needed to come at a game plan like they are the underdog in that game because you line up kind of the two teams from a, a recruiting standpoint. And if you had to assign the statistics to one or the other, Iowa probably would have been uh, the seventh seed. And that's just what it is. Like, I I think that that's where I I feel most frustrated is like you get caught up in the gusto of the season, what Iowa can do really well. And it's easy to forget uh, some of the things they don't do um, quite so well. And just that, I think that's kind of what I'm, I'm holding on to. And and I think someone in the comments, it might've been Pete's sake. He's like, I'm going to wait to see what Oregon does before I, I uh, judge this game too harshly. And I think that's a, a, another fair representation of it because if they go out and obliterate USC, just like, I, and I think the same can be said about Oral Roberts going out and beating Florida, Iowa losing doesn't become the story anymore um, or Ohio State losing doesn't become the story anymore. The teams that won become the story. And ultimately, that's where I settled. Is like the better team won. The things Iowa has lacked for 30 years, they continue to lack. And then, you know, there there was maybe no better way for Luca to go out in a loss than the performance that he had because he he did everything that he could. Um, And I'm going to miss watching him play for, for the Hawkeyes. That's... That's really for sure. The, the problem that I think you illustrate that I and so many people others had with Oregon is, you know, I think the, when you think of Oregon, this is, um, you look at, you know, I will play them as recently as two seasons ago. Yeah. And we beat them. It's 77-69. And I went back and looked sort of at the roster, the, the box score and, Iowa had had three starters in that game that they had three that they had yesterday. Um, Garza, Weiss, Campbell, Bohannon all started in that game. In addition, with Tyler Cook and Isaiah Moss, who won seventy seven sixty nine. There's not a single player on the roster from that Oregon game on the team today. I don't. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> and that's an Oregon team that had Bowl Bowl on it, and he scored just fourteen points. And uh, Oregon's leading scorer is. Named Ehab Amin. He was Ehab Amin. He's now he's the best player in Egypt. Uh, most money ever made by an Egyptian basketball player. Um, anyway, not to go off the rails, but you know, I wrote down a lot of things. I things I don't want to talk about tonight. And as you were talking, I I wrote recruiting down on the list because um, while you know I think it has merits, I don't think that's something uh, something I want to get into. I just you know the, the the problem is so then t- trying to go off on my tangent further is I I think me a lot of people spend very little time paying attention to the basketball season outside of Iowa. I'm saying Iowa fans as a whole, and you know just fans of any uh, of college basketball, casual fans in general, because I think a lot of us were focused on other things during this time. We didn't really give. Um, you know, the, uh, the, I don't know, we didn't really take the time to educate ourselves. Didn't really real, like we would, I think, you know, to the point Iowa going in as a big favorite in this game, 
we didn't realize what Oregon had done in, in their in the Pac-12 championship. We or in the Pac-12 tournament rather. We didn't realize, you know, they maybe were a bit of uh, an underseed. We were an underseeding situation. You know, uh, we didn't. You know how we how, how they'd be affected by having ten days off, whereas I would play thirty six hours prior, and it, it just felt like. And you know, uh, Grand Canyon was relatively convincing. I think, I think you know what I mean. The first game was relatively yeah. convincing, and if um, you know that had been a closer game, we would have been a little bit more scared. Obviously, it, it just was a setup. Um, what I'm trying to say is, you know, it felt like Iowa would just do play Iowa's game and, and we could beat Oregon because we had done it before. And that, you know, obviously wasn't the case uh, because, you know, Oregon picked up a lot of new recruits for young guys, according um, obviously. And Iowa is still stuck with, you know, the people they had before. I think those are two great points. Um, and like you said, I, I think if we get to broader discussion later, it's probably going to touch on recruiting. But when I when I look at the game specifically that we watched, uh, it's hard to say that Fran was out coached because at the end of the day, you go to the you go to war with the army you have, and CJ Frederick wasn't getting better overnight. Joe Wieskamp was. Not a hundred percent. I'm not going to say he he was bad, but he was he was good, and he carried Iowa for what felt like long stretches of that game, but in actuality, probably was not that long of a stretch. And come to find out, Connor is basically operating uh, like Jordan Bohannon had during the middle of last year when he took it off because his hips were in such crappy shape. So you you put all this together into the the blender that is happening with the narrative around Big 10 basketball and it is it feels like we're being blindsided when we just to your point I think uh didn't educate ourselves as, as well as we could have because very easily we could have understood, well, Altman's been here before. I don't even care if we determine it to be an advantage or disadvantage. The the rest and the prep and not playing a game. The fact is that Dana Altman is probably one of the 10 best coaches and Oregon's in the Sweet 16 every other year. And there's a reason why. It's because Dana Altman's really good and he recruits really good players to play basketball really well. Um, I think part of the other thing that hurts Iowa is the perspective we have is loading up all of the chips on a single year. And this was that year. And it's happened in the past with Fran where as the season goes on, Guys increasing, fans increasingly put, you know, their figurative wagers behind the 2014 team, the 2016 team, only to be let down. Now, the difference between this 2021 team, and I think what I'm going to take a lot of solace in, is the fact that throughout the season, they they overcame a lot um, that could have taking it off the rails like we had seen in past uh, 2020, 2014 and 2016. They readjusted. They finished strong. They played well enough for me to think that they could do some damage in the tournament. And at the end of the day, you know, it just didn't happen because we're Iowa. I mean, I think that's, it's a lame thing to say, and it's a. It can sound lazy, but I always try and come at it from a broad point of view. Where you look at the last thirty years, the last thirty years, the problems Iowa had in nineteen ninety are basically the same problems Iowa have 
in 2021. And the question is, how does Iowa get over the hump? I I don't know, but to me, just looking at it from a, a I, I have my ideas, but to me, just looking at it from a yesterday perspective, it I think the one thing was Fran failed to account for the style of play and Iowa thinking that they could run up and down. That was a red flag to me when Bohannon said that. The other thing is, and we had discussed in the middle of the season that it had felt like Fran had developed some lineups that he could go to, um, to stifle things. And I don't know if Jack Nungy changes it, but one of the lineups we, or I recall us discussing was when it was Toussaint, the two, and then basically four forwards. I don't know if that would have done anything yesterday. Um, but, uh, he he never had that wild card um, to lean on in in a trust way, um, and and that stinks in my opinion. Uh, but ultimately, your team is defined by your best players, and Oregon starters scored all but six points. They scored eighty nine points, and that's just insane. And Iowa had three guys throw up goose eggs, and. That's that's basketball. Like, like I mean, like you're you're not going to win games when three of your starters score zero points. Uh, in the in the long list of things <clears throat> that I didn't want to talk about, I had two things I did want to talk about, and you kind of you touched on both of them right away. The first, and I think the least frustrating of the two, is Dane Altman. Um, I didn't really realize his track record going in, but <laughs> I mean, they made the sweet 16 the year we beat them 2018, 2019. And then two years before that, they made the final four 16, 17 and 15, 16. They made the elite eight. Um, I mean, his record at Oregon is at seven twenty one percentage. Like uh, that's pretty incredible. Right. Yeah. And you know, again, Pac-12, weird year, COVID year, not paying attention to anything. But, uh, you know, I'm totally 100% invested in Iowa basketball. Not that I, you know, usually I'm watching too much Pac-12 basketball anyway. Um, but just consuming less I, content uh, as a college basketball fan. Total, totally blindsided by that. And, you know, again, just goes to the, you know, sort of underseated point I don't want to talk about too much by Oregon. Um, and the other thing is sort of the injury aspect of it, I think we're going to have a long, you know, conversation about Fran and mishaps and what happened in this game. But I think, you know, the problem is I'm not as frustrated. You're like nearly half as frustrated with Fran as maybe I should be, or as certainly the people in our comments are, even you, I'm not, I think, I think I know your opinion on him still and, and everything, but like, I think the only thing that really sort of makes me really, really angry about him isn't being discussed about or being talked about that much is yeah, his son was starting a game with two torn hips, you know, not with half of 50% of a functioning hip and Frederick, we could all see was injured, but you know, his injury is even more serious than we thought. And that just is what I'm most uh, upset about because I, I think it's just now putting your team in the best position to win. I don't know. I mean, the re, you're talking about three guys having a goose egg. And, I mean, what sort of what did you expect? They're running on fumes, um, I guess. I mean, we've seen, like, CJ, uh, CJ hasn't been totally productive uh, on offense, and he's not a defensive stalwart by any means. So, like, what, sort of what are you getting? And I sort of the fa- the idea of still playing CJ, I think, sort of vindicates his decision of playing Connor. Uh, dismisses that as dismisses that as nepotism. Um, it just feels. I don't think that's necessarily what's happening. Of course, but that's just how you know. It's, you know, smarter people than me can make come to that that conclusion. Um, and that's the only that's the most frustrating thing. I'm sad, you know, because I really like him. I really like Fran. I think he's a you know. So he's a good coach, but people are asking, you know, sort of this, if this wasn't the year, then when is, and I do not have a good answer to that question. Well, here's something I was thinking about. I've been thinking about a lot of things. And when I was kind of 
doing my research ahead of picking brackets and whatnot, the the thing I had settled on was like, uh, all right, how many teams in the last 10 years have reached the Sweet 16 for the first time in 10 years? If that is a a weird kind of metric. And and what it comes down to is basically 35% of teams every year have they get to the sweet 16 for the first time in 10 years it's kind of what i was looking at it from a from a thought of and we got above that and it's not like it's the one team that stuck out to me i guess roundabout way the one team that stuck out to me that i'm like they've never been in a sweet 16 was creighton and creighton is stylistically very similar to iowa very offense forward they had Doug McDermott, who I view Luca Garza as a little bit of a taller version of, and they didn't make the Sweet 16 with them, and I was blown away by that because I had thought that they almost certainly had made the Sweet 16. And all of a sudden, you know, here it is, kind of decade later, they don't have anyone quite as good as Doug McDermott. They or even Rocky, yeah. They go through an borderline unbelievable uh, situation that Iowa fans are familiar with, um, and their season gets turned upside down. And here they are in the Sweet Sixteen. Some of this stuff is just chance, and it is easy to knock it up to Fran, to knock it up to Garza, to knock it up to Bohannon, the deficiencies of whoever. Sometimes just random things happen and we try and place order on it. And it's, (laughs) it's uh, there's really no method to it. So uh, when I think about it from Fran's perspective, I still come at it from, do we know we're operating at his ceiling or are we operating at Iowa's ceiling? And that's why I think we look at the roster next year as currently constructed, even assuming that Wieskamp doesn't come back. It is guard heavy. There is more athleticism than I can remember since maybe the very early uh, Fran years. I think they are more highly skilled if we're looking at it from like uh, if you're talking Frederick, Euless, Toussaint, Perkins, those four up against call it Bryce Cartwright, Matt Gatons, Eric May. I think Gatons is probably the best player out of those seven or eight that I, I rattled off. But I think as a group, the ones Iowa has now can do more. So you just never know. You just never know because Iowa could be an 11 seed and win the playing game and then win two more because they're playing uh, a six seed. They match up well against them and a 14 seed. This stuff happens every year and we want to say, oh, it's Fran's fault. Sure, sure. Some, some of it is. I, I thought he didn't have a great game plan last night. But some of it just isn't like it, it's just it, it, we try and place order on it and it makes it easy to go up Fran. But his problems are Iowa's problems. And when I look at where you go from here, you go through like <laughs> he, ha- he got the contract extension. We didn't like the timing of it. And he would have deserved it whether Iowa had won or lost against Oregon, no matter what. So I'm not here to relitigate that. But I, you don't get better by firing a coach. You, re, you really don't. I, I was looking at it. There are, there are five teams that have switched coaches with an equivalent record that Fran has over three, the last three years. And unless you're going to go out and hire a Hall of Famer, 
you're not going to improve because that's the only thing that happened with Bruce. Well, I guess it was, unless you had already hired a Hall of Famer, you can use his recruits like Bruce Weber did. It was basically a Tom Davis, uh, George Ravelling situation um, where Bruce Weber was able to to post three great years after three very, very good years from Bill Self. So you just go through and you try and get enough bites at the apple that eventually the roulette wheel comes your way in terms of being the team that plays a, another double-digit seed in the second round. The comment I found most disagreeable with um, – was you know a relatively timid one was that firing Fran and then who you're going to hire to replace him are two totally separate events or questions and I just simply couldn't disagree with that more <laughs> like it, it's a like you have to have a like I think of it as it's, it's an exit strategy right you're completing only fifty percent of the of uh, the parachute if you fire the coach not have somebody in mind or lined up and i understand i guess i understand the arguments like no those are two totally different things i, I because i kind of get it from i he didn't make this point or i'm assuming he didn't, didn't make this point that i'm sure is he it's our website um <laughs> uh, now i lost my train of thought really I guess my, my point is, you know, I'm, I look at Minnesota, who they just hired, a guy named Ben Johnson, alumni, he's from Minnesota. But, he, like, he was an assistant at Minnesota up until 2018. He was at Xavier the last three seasons. But that's totally uninspired. Never heard of him before. Um, you know, wasn't that great of a player. Uh, he played at Northwestern before transferring to Minnesota. It's like you, it, again, it, it, it's, a, it's an exit strategy. It's, you know, being prepared to jump out of the plane but not having the right parachute, I, I think was the point I was trying to make. Um, and it's like, yeah, who, who are you possibly going to get that you think is going to do a better job? I don't think – I don't see the point in totally and completely derailing. I, I think it's just a, a – I, I, you know, if, if it makes you feel better to talk about <clears throat> get, getting rid of Fran or, or Iowa and as, you know, some sort of reprimand, fine, we can talk about it. But, I you know, I don't see how that's the answer, you know, because – you know, sort of not not dance with the one who brought you up because that seems a little defeatist, even for for my liking. But it's <laughs> it's like you know what you know this is sort of this is sort of it. Um, we we can't start over again because you know we you, you risk another look lighter situation. Like, well, what's really the point? Yeah, I mean, t- to me, it's like if you're Fran, you're looking for a shot in the arm. Now, I, I don't know what the transfer market's going to bring, and I have no interest in speculating it because Iowa's track record with it is slim to none. God love Bakari Evelyn, but um, that's probably not the type of player that's going to change Iowa's fortunes to come, to come into uh, what Iowa currently has. So... Fran needs to take a very good hard look and reassert himself to defense. Now, maybe the way Iowa played was a function of Fran doing that and realizing I just need to outscore people because guys like Jordan Bohan and Luca Garza, uh, Connor maybe, uh, collectively they... They don't provide an advantage from a defensive perspective. We look at who's coming back next year and spitballing starters say it's CJ Frederick, Connor McCaffrey, Keegan Murray, um, Joe Toussaint, and Tony Perkins. That's kind of a, a five that I love because Murray is so different than any center that I always had in the past. Potentially. And you commit yourself to defense because you have a ton of speed and Keegan Murray would be a fast center in that situation. And you try and find a way to generate offense through your defense. And he's done that with past teams like 
I think about the 2016 team all the time because to me, Fran was able to squeeze so much blood from the rock of that offense with Jared Utoff, Peter Jock, and three very average offensive players in the starting lineup. And they're a top 25 offense. And it, to me, he gets the most out of his guys from an offensive perspective and exactly what they are from a defensive perspective. He does not elevate the defense. That needs to change, I think, a little bit. He needs to find a way to make the defense greater than the sum of its parts in the same way that he can do with an offense um, at the drop of the hat. Because to me, his his offensive bona fides are undeniable at this point. And I, I, he's forgotten more about defense than I could ever know. But if he's got to figure out the right scheme for the players that will play next year and commit to it. And because that is kind of what elevates your single game floor from a volatility standpoint, if we're looking at it from uh, can you advance in the tournament? Because it does come down to just how you can play on any given night. And sometimes shots don't fall like we saw against Wisconsin, but you're also not playing a, a team that's going to play offense like Wisconsin as well um, all the time. So I, I just come down to it sucking because I like everyone involved and I want Iowa to be better through the improvement of the guys that I like. I obviously we had to do a little bit of carpet bagging and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, like there's no point in not being totally there's no point in being totally completely you know defeatist and right about the season and what next year has to come but I don't really want to talk about next year Fair um enough. but I don't really want to talk about this year anymore either <laughs> um I mean you know you you bring up that lineup and I don't know I, 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 I'm not ready to set anything in stone. Yeah. Simply, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Connor? Who knows what's going to happen with CJ? Who knows what's going to happen with Joe? Um, and who knows about Jack? You know, the only person I'm confident about, I guess I'm confident in Keegan Murray and Patrick McCaff- McCaffrey starting <laughs> next year, which is great. I think Pat came on really strong towards the end of the year. I, I mean, I'm not, I don't know why you're laughing. Um, I, I agree. I'm laughing because I agree. Like, I think what we saw <laughs> towards, towards the end of the year is like Iowa ran a lot of offense through Pat and Keegan, and it was a function of not being able to run offense through Connor and, and CJ. But I think it's going to be good for next year. Yeah. So I look forward to that. I have no idea. I mean, the only person I'm confident is going to be staying is Tony Perkins. Um, I know. I mean, that's not totally true. I've I've really no reason to believe you know Joe's going to leave or Ulysses is going to leave, and I don't know how the. I don't want to you know want to speculate too much. It's. I don't know. I, I don't really know what else there is to, to say. What what I can. I don't know. We just. Well, I guess let's not put a bow on this season, but kind of revisit a point that we've, we've made for a couple of months, which was that the tournament would define this team. To to me, I don't define it as like a failure necessarily. I, I think it's just a disappointment because a lot of kids put so much into into this season um thinking about what they went through in Indianapolis I know it's there are worse places to be locked in <laughs> locked in a room all day but that sounded like a nightmare um except for the fact that they got to come out and play basketball for us to watch so at the end of the day like it was it's a tough tournament and Iowa, I, 
I have no reason to believe they didn't give everything that they had. It just sucks, I guess, is really the the point I've made throughout this podcast that I I can't seem to come off of because there there are multiple all-timers on this team one way or another, and I will be sad not watching them in the black and gold. So I guess it's only another thing, too, is you, you mentioned, you know, let's wait and see what Oregon does. Um, the other thing, to, like, if I had won this game, obviously it would have been in the Sweet 16. But it's like you look at who they'd be playing, you know, USC, USC blew the doors yeah. off, totally blew the doors off Kansas. And the other thing, I guess, that kind of made me feel better than anything else is every team except for, save for, Every game, save for sort of Michigan LSU, was uh, a complete utter, utter blowout. No game, no game was close. Michigan LSU was the closest game of the day, and it was a ten point game. Uh, so I don't know if it was just the curse of yesterday, but you know, Oregon didn't expose anything that the next team wouldn't. I think, and that, these are sort of lies my teacher told me, but. And that's how I feel about it too. And uh, yeah, again, I don't know what you asked me earlier, but I I think you answered it one way or another. Yet yeah, you you mentioned Kansas, and this was something I tweeted earlier because I I found it fascinating, and now I I click into this link, and there are like three times as many comments as before, but. I was going through it, and and this thing stuck out to me because Kansas is a team that is consistently recruiting in the top 25, if not the top 10. They play by different rules, if we'll say. And I look at this line, uh, Rock Chalk Talk, David A.Z., he writes, this team, even at 100%, was simply not constructed to make a deep run this year. And it's a credit to self that they even won 20 games and earned a three seed. And when I think about Kansas fans having that perspective about the team that they had, ostensibly a disappointment in the grand scheme of Kansas basketball, which on any given year is probably Sweet 16 or bust, but they are so consistently around basketball in March. They're able to understand in a way that, like I said, Iowa fans load up their emotional capital into a season when it presents itself. These seasons for Kansas happen all the time, and they're able to step back and understand that hey, a lot of good went into what this team was. And this is a team that, from a, as I was talking, talent and skill, or an athleticism and skill, it skews a little bit the other direction towards athleticism in a way that Iowa does towards skill. And they're able to just move on. But because we're Iowa fans, because these seasons ha- happen so rarely, we rue that we didn't get the chance or take advantage of the chance. Well, the answer is to have more bites at the apple. And I do think Iowa is headed in the direction where they can become a team that is consistently in the mix for a bit in March and eventually, eventually just by some, you know, by luck, right? I mean, they they catch a couple breaks and it goes the other way. And this isn't to say Fran's unlucky. I think you, you do make your own luck to some extent. But part of the luck is getting the bites at the apple, getting into the tournament and winning that first game because Fran's proved he's been able to do that. It's about winning that second one and certainly that that is uh, a tough hill to climb. I mean, yeah, we, we just want to see him succeed more than anything. 
and again, I don't really want to be in the business of comparing Iowa basketball to Kansas basketball. Um, but I think the sentiment still does stand, you know, your point that the season is credit to Fran, but uh, I, I don't necessarily believe that with having Luka Gars on the roster with, you know, having, I don't we'll see what happens with Joe Wee's camp, but, you know, having a guy, a cal- player of his caliber on the roster and then the leadership and sort of three-point ability of Bohannon behind, uh, behind those two as well is just um, making, I think, if one too many excuses from, I think, you know, obviously there still has to be some accountability, but, you know, uh, again, we just have to, uh, this is a tough, tough thing I have between the Iowa football and basketball program is we just sort of have to hope, ooh, Fran learns from this the same way his football counterpart might learn from something, but I don't know if, I don't, the, the thing that hurts me most is I'm not super comfortable with seeing, you know, knowing that we're going to see the kind of changes we think we should see. Yeah. And I guess I don't want to over index on granting frame credit for the two seed, because that's not necessarily my point. My point is that I think that we, we lose the forest through the trees when we are in a position to that Iowa was in this year. Um, so I guess closing the bow on that, but yeah, the, the, the football thing gets me because I think when I look at the way the two teams operate, you see Fran and he's consistently put his kids in a position where they are getting accolades of some kind, despite being nominally like two, three star kids. Like you go down the line, Devin Marble holdover recruit, all Big Ten. Aaron White, best offer was Duquesne except for Iowa, all Big Ten. Cast off from Wisconsin, Jared Utoff, all Big Ten. And that is one Utoff out of five. Utoff was a first-time recruit, though, wasn't he? He was, but okay. Yeah, but he's the outlier in this scenario, yeah. in my opinion, um, because you look at Jock was previously highly rated, ton of knee troubles, all Big Ten, and then Luca Garza, kind of the, the ultimate story. Andy Katz was just waxing poetic about him after the game, and uh, Fran squeezes so much out of the talent that he does have that comparatively, sometimes you look at the football stuff and it's like, how, how is Noah Fant not leading? You know the the team in yards now like I said it's not worth too many comparisons but it almost overinflates the talent that Fran has because he's able to build an offense around the best player that he has and develop those accolades and, and adding to kind of Iowa or hyper focus on Iowa versus the broader landscape perhaps inflates what we think of this team versus the rest of the country. Now, I think a lot of that was grounded in fact this year. They never dipped below 15. They were consistently top 10. We had every reason to believe that they could advance, and so did a lot of a lot of other people. You don't talk about a team being underseeded until they beat a team that they are seated lower than. So, like, this is... Uh, uh, it's just yeah we I want to see him be better and I, I I hate that this has just been a sad podcast but I hope there have been enough good points to, to make it worth it because uh, I like Fran I like Luca I like Jordan I like Joe so <laughs> uh I mean yeah I like them all too I I guess the, the thing I arrive on with the last thing about the underseated thing and to tie back to what I said about the next round is like Oregon was underseated 
the rebuttal to that is so, you know. Yeah, with the, exactly. Like, who would you have wanted? I mean, obviously we could, we could uh, hand cherry pick, but who would you have rather seen in the second round that other that uh, opposing teams saw? You know, I can't really think. Pick one out of a hat. I'm trying. BYU. Know I, mean? I would rather have had <laughs> succeeded BYU. Okay, BYU. Anybody else? I mean, that's the only of? one that sticks out because they lost to UCLA. I'm trying to think of the like. I wouldn't have rather had Texas Tech. Texas Tech would have been a nightmare. I wouldn't. Oklahoma. I mean, to your point. Yeah, Oklahoma. Um, I mean, that would have been a fun Christian. game to watch. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but like you. you to your point, you look at the teams around where Oregon was at seven, and they all pose their problems. Like it's not like mm-hmm. you're going to get a great matchup on on a quick game. I, I mean, I thought VCU was going to be the harder scout because uh, my I'm so traumatized by what they did to Purdue in uh, 2010, 2011. Might have been 2012, but that. It, it it's tough. Like I mean, the, it, it ultimately comes down to how hard this tournament is. It's no excuse for Fran because he has to get better at at it. And Iowa has to get better at these games, but it's hard. Yeah, it's <laughs> learning. You know, it's a lot of luck, like a lot of things, and Iowa. And luck aren't two things that really seem to go hand in hand, you know. And, you know, like you said, everybody poses their own problems. And they would have, you know, those chickens would have come to roost eventually, right? So not not that it's better to get them out. Not not that the situation is one where you want to get out of the way necessarily. But... It's not like, you know, not like Oregon did anything super special is the the thing to take away. Yeah. yeah I mean, they were the regular season Pac, Pac-12 champion, but at the end of the day, like, you play who's in front of you. Um, I guess switching gears a little bit, Ben, because this has been as as enjoyable as it is to commiserate. It's been a lot of commiserating. Uh, did you watch the women's game today? I did, actually. Yes, I did, and I was wondering, you know, where would where would Kaylin Clark start on this men's team? <laughs> oh God, I mean that's that's unfair to put on her because I I know. What would I think it's fair to say she might have scored more than zero points, but yeah. that's neither here nor there. I I can't get over how it it really is unbelievable that. Caitlin Clark plays for Iowa. There has never before Mm-mm. been a player like that in any Iowa sport have the impact that she does as a freshman. And someone feel free to fact check me on that because it feels like what she does if AJ Epinesa played every single down as defensive end, returned punts, and was also the go-to tight end in red zone situations. That's how complete she plays the game of basketball. It is incredible to watch her. Talk about – I'll go back to her in a second. It is incredible to watch her. But talk about Iowa, bad luck. You know, Iowa plays number one seed UConn next game. Historically, like, right? Like the best woman – one of the best sports programs, period, of all time, the UConn women's team. We play Iowa. Talk about under seed, number five, with a, with a player like Kayla Clark, you know. <laughs> I mean, coming to all these realizations now, but time is a flat circle for these Hawkeyes. I have a feeling that that was not luck at all, but a way to pigeonhole the the I, Bukers. Is that how you pronounce Paige Beckers? Pigeonhole Beckers versus Clark. That's that's the way oh. I view. There is yeah. no luck involved in that. Uh, doesn't doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But I mean, yeah, this this woman's team super complete. And going to assume Kentucky's woman is, you know, same heralded program as their men's counterpart and uh, take that four seed and stuff some respect uh, for these lady Hawkeyes. You, 
I've got a uh, my it's my it, it was fun to see they were kind of like prominent on Twitter today, even not even on Iowa Hawkeye Twitter, but my college my freshman roommate was on the on the gray squad for the um, women's team. You know what the gray squad is? Oh yeah, the practicing uh, yeah scout team. And I don't want to shout out his Twitter because it's um, it's anonymous, so I assume he wants to keep it that way. But he has been. On the the Bluter driver of the Bluter bus bunch, Bluter bunch bus, uh, the whole year, and he he always sort of has, uh, I suppose. It's just cool to see, um, and you know he's retweeting lots of former players and all that. Uh, cool to see, you know the, the her her and her coaching staff have been together for you know twenty years, just about right. Um, but well, before Fran came in and he's been here for <laughs> longer than, longer than, you know, uh, 11 years now. And it's just been really great to see, you know, uh, that, that program, you, you, you know, with a player like Megan Gustafson, Gustafson leaving last year. And, you know, she was like absolutely incredible. And now we got a Caitlin Clark, Caitlin Clark. What if, you know, Fran was able to do with Luke Garza and then, freshman stud um we'd be going nuts so that type of cool to see that type of deal going on yeah i I think when i was watching that like you said they're really pretty complete the thing that did crack me up a little bit though is how they had the number two scoring offense in all the land and like the very last offensive defensive scoring team which tells me I should have been watching them for so much longer than the last couple of weeks because those games back and forth, tons of scoring, feels like probably uh, Fran McCaffrey basketball on uh, Ritalin, whatever it is, uh, to hype them up. Because, But yeah, I mean, she's the type of player that... You would love to see Iowa basketball have um, Iowa men's basketball because Iowa basketball does have a Caitlin Clark. Um, just sensational to watch. Gets wherever she wants. Can hit every shot on the floor. Never a bad shot, as Bart Pierce said. Um, I, I wish I had a little more educated opinion about it, but you also raise a great point about Lisa Bluter in general, just operating at the peak of her powers. I think I saw someone tweet uh, three sweet 16s in the last six years. And there's no need to, that is an incredible feat and should be uh, celebrated as such without any sort of comparison because um watching the team play that well and play that fun and love each other. Like it was fun to see Caitlin Clark just put her arm around uh, a lot of her teammates there towards the end. Fun group. And even though Kevin Durant wants her in the WNBA immediately, hopefully she sticks around at least two more years um, because she is that, she's that fun to watch. She, she reminds me a little bit of Sabrina, Sabrina Ionescu, uh, the Oregon a player <laughs> full circle um, from a couple of years ago, or maybe it was just last year. She, she reminds me mm-hmm. of her a lot, mm-hmm. but I think Clark is probably the better shooter. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how she develops. Yeah. So in the meantime, I thought we played UConn next. It doesn't look like that's the case. Or that needs case? to be solidified. UConn and Syracuse oh, are playing. Up, UConn's up for <laughs> Oh, they're up 40. UConn's up 40. It's 83-44 uh, with two minutes left in the game. So uh, we are playing UConn on on Saturday sometime, it looks like. Uh, um, I don't know. I have nothing else. Top shot update. Oh! I missed on a pack release mm. uh, by fighting people in the comments of blackartgoldpants.com in my recap. Um, But I did decide to continue to round out my Spurs Fiesta jersey uh, 
showcase and got a Keldon Johnson dunk. Very excited about that. He yams it on former Spur, Kawhi Leonard, if I remember the highlight correctly. And that is a delight for me to now have between Lonnie Walker, Rudy Gay, and Keldon Johnson, all wearing the beautiful Spurs Fiesta jerseys. I did log into the Cool Cats pack release, like after they had released the masses into the queue, and there were like 300,000 because I was like 305,000 in the queue. So this thing is getting out of hand, Ben. Absolutely out of hand. So you had me thinking. Um, the most succinct illustration of what Top Shot is was described to me in the comments of Defector. And it was basically the thought is you can have a Rembrandt copy or you can have the original, which is sort of what Top Shot is, right? More or less. And now I just finished watching a very interesting documentary about art forgery on Netflix. Do you think we'll see sort of a a secondary market of of fakes and phonies now with your hypothetical um, pieces of art? Well, I think I do take issue a little bit with calling it a Rembrandt because I would not consider it that. I would consider it like a numbered Andy Warhol print, right? I think that's probably the more appropriate comparison. Anyways. Fair. There will be... Was that the artist? That, whatever, I don't don't care. There was... I I do expect some shadiness because it looks like Top Shot is starting to set up some secondary markets. And frankly, that seems like a good way to get scammed. And while I'm in this thing to potentially make a quick buck, I am also not in the business of wanting to be the scammed or the scammer. So we shall see uh, how that secondary markets go because I do not trust them. I also think there's probably some way that people are getting around it now because people don't want to... I don't know why you would need a secondary market when you can sell on the marketplace very cleanly. Are you really trying to save the 5% vig off of this? That seems very dumb. But whatever. Oh, there is one thing I wanted to mention. Not Top Shot update. It's a, it's a gambling thing. So if you have any more Top Shot thoughts, I guess speak now. Uh, the the exact representation was I can buy a Starry Night replica for forty dollars on Amazon, or the original for one billion, also on Amazon. Well, I think this is all incredibly stupid. I think that is the distinction, and I think yeah, it changes my argument only slightly. There there will be some type of forgery happening. Okay, secondary market popping up. Anyways. Gambling. I was in Iowa driving, and that's why I listened to like the first eight minutes of the basketball game on radio, and then watched the game and uh, listened at the same time like a father, which uh, technically I am. But anyways, <laughs> while I was in Iowa, I placed some bets, and I actually hit a parlay. I was very delighted by that, fourteen to one. It was an under in Syracuse, West Virginia, which hit because Buddy Bayheim, a 90% free throw shooter, missed the last free throw that he took in that game. That was fantastic. I hit the over in Oral Roberts, Florida, I believe it was. Um, what was there was a there's another one, obviously, because it was four legs. But then the coup de gras was Arkansas at as an underdog, which felt like just easy money. Both because I love me some Moses Moody, but also because they were the better team. And I was watching that game just utterly delighted because I was able to get it. But let's get this fourth leg because it, I was very happy. I put like, I had like three or four different 10 leg parlays 
I'm like, you know what? Let's trim this down a little bit. You don't need $3,000. You just need 70 bucks. Um, betting history. That's all you want on a five-leg parlay? I'm, I bet four, five bucks at a time. Okay. Oh, and it was Baylor. It was Baylor um, over Wisconsin. So that was that was a delight. Yeah, three three negative one tens, one plus one ten, seventy dollars for dad Congrats. that paid for lunch. Yeah, yep. I, I was I was hitting it on Sunday. Oral Roberts and yeah, that was an over and an under. Oh no, it was Loyola. Loyola was in that part that parlay. Mm. So I bet against the Big Ten in those games. Oh wow. Uh, that was I, no one no one likes hearing gambling stories, so that's why I put this at the end. I do want to say I I placed two bets yesterday. And I won them both. Yeah. Um Luca Garza over eight and a half rebounds. Nice. And Oregon money line. Oh, the head. I know. See, this is why you're so sad. Because <laughs> there's there's no level of happiness. <laughs> or amount of de- there's no dollar figure that can soothe the happiness. So whatever you brought back, you just feel sad because you have that money because Iowa lost. <laughs> I, it's why the when when I got when whenever I hedge the happiness with Iowa, I bet the under at least with with foot or with basketball because I know that will not make me happy. But that would be the way that they lose. And they can still win that way. So what are you saying is I should probably just donate the money to charity. Or buy a, bunch of loaves, buy a bunch of loaves of bread and feed a bunch of ducks at the pond. Also possibility. Oh, that one was a brutal loss. I'm just going through some of these that I made. I, I made a three-leg parlay with Abilene uh, over Texas. That one hit UCLA money line. That hit. But the over of Norfolk State and Gonzaga did not hit because free throws were missed down the stretch. Win some, lose some. Uh, I don't know. People don't want me to go through my betting history. Whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, how how sad is that person who spent an ungodly amount of some uh, an ungodly amount of money on Illinois in his uh, auction? Um, let me. I don't even remember who the guy was. I don't think I know him, but you know, I'm not in communication with much. Uh, there were no. I mean, Gonzaga's still alive. I guess oh, he has both of them. No, um, let me find. I'll find it. Uh, this sort of Calcutta type of draft. I don't know. Bad radio. It's uh, it's going very slow right now. And what way I can find him? I-L-O. Oh yeah, I don't know this guy. Um, yeah, you know, it's a quick way to lose twenty three hundred dollars. Um, what did you get? <laughs> I, you know, I did bet on Loyola to beat uh, Illinois on Sunday, so that was pretty nice for me. Um. I don't know what else. The guy also lost money on San Diego State and Utah State. So tough luck. Tough, tough, tough. But, you know, I'm glad I did not lay any wood down because I would have, I, you know, I really like San Diego State. Uh, tried to yep. get them. Couldn't. That would have been very idiotic. The only team that I really, really like that is still advanced is Houston. And I still think they were a steal going for – $860 in this auction. Nobody but you really knows what we're talking about. Yeah, I still... Loyola was my favorite one. That would have been the the only reason, mainly because I, it would have brought pain and misery to whoever spent that money on, on Illinois, but God. Yeah. Those dollar figures scare the hell out of me. I, I am... I, I don't know. It just... Gamble with what you can afford to lose. That is my motto, and that is why I have not put any extra money into my gambling accounts in quite some time. 
yeah, I don't really do it, except for now. Hopefully, are, are we going to have a, a gambling? Are we going to turn this into a segment during football season at the end where we talk about our horrible bets? Or good, but actually the good bets. Uh, no one wants I don't know. I don't really bet during football season, so you can okay. just... You can just make a recording and uh, we'll play that on the ad. We have the plonks. I think I'll still do yeah. the plonks. That was fun. Yeah. So, alrighty, Ben. It was uh, good chatting with you. Wish it were under better circumstances, of course. But I know uh, that's that's the way it goes. One team ends the year happy, and once again, it is not Iowa. Yep. So, for Ben Ross, for Harrison Starr, go Hawks. Beat UConn. I'm addicted to quack.